This is a Baby Brunch podcast. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. The range of Epimax Baby and Junior gentle all-purpose emollient moisturizers is an all-day, everyday favorite for babies and children. Give your child a good start to every day by nourishing and protecting their skin with Epimax. Welcome to another Baby Brunch video as well as a podcast. I don't think any, any parent wants to ever hear the word psychiatrist. But you know, sometimes we're in a position where we all we want to do is we just want to help our children. Well, today we're meeting Dr. Tema. He's a medical doctor that has specialized in psychiatry and further specialized in child and adolescent psychiatry. He's got an extensive experience in both local as well as private mental health care. And today we're unpacking some questions that you have sent us and that we are basically interested in. So, Dr. Tema, welcome to Parent and Baby Brunch. Oh, thank you so much. Um, maybe let me just get out of my being starstruck and uh, and enjoy the moment. Um, but but also just to appreciate you putting mental health of children on the spotlight again. Doctor, it's the one thing to understand basic things. Like in my home, when I ask my seven-year-old, how was your day? She says, it was good, tiring, exhausting, silly, fun, sad. You know, we, we are able to describe the emotions and, and how the day was. But not everyone understands when sad becomes depression or even when it becomes something that we need to be aware of in a different space. So, I mean, I'm going to get back to the basics. What, what, what do symptoms look like? When do us as parents become aware that our children, teenagers, might be struggling with mental health? Let's just for the sake issues, let's call them issues. How do we know that we are struggling? So, you know, I, I, I want us to cover child psychiatry as from both like, you know, your young children through to adolescent psychiatry. And the reason I'm saying that is, you know, your younger children are less expressive. Mm. If you're very lucky, your teenagers would be reasonably expressive. But largely, um, I think you take cue from the, the children's behaviors. Right. For example, yeah. So, for example, like, uh, you know, struggles with sleep or appetite or um, um, if they are in school, there might be difficulties in terms of the grades deteriorating, but teachers might also report on some disruptive behaviors as well. Now, disruptive is, a, is another word. I mean, I, I'm unsure. Uh, some say naughty, some say disruptive, some goes, but children are disruptive. That's what they're supposed to be, you know. When, when, when do we classify behavior as disruptive? So disruptive in a family home, disruptive is when a child gets into trouble a lot with the parents. Um, for example, if, you know, there's discipline being um, trying to be managed and the child is not responding to discipline, that in itself is a disruptive behavior. In a school setting, disruptive is when a child is clearly disrupting other kids and also disrupting their own ability to learn in the space that they are in. And in school, the teachers find it easy because they have the comparison of the other children at similar right. developmental age. Right. Yeah. Whereas at home, you just have your child, but really is that sense that, sure, I'm really struggling to discipline my child. There's going to be something a little bit more to this than just a child being naughty. 
So with, without, I mean, trying to not recognize what you do as, a, as an expert, so why, why is it not psychology? Why is, the, why is the problem not with me as a mom, you know? How do we know it is psychiatry? How do we know that we need to, we, how do we even diagnose it? So I, I do think if you're looking at the causes of mental illness in children, you, there's, there's usually not one specific cause. And so we look at, mainly what we call risk factors. Um, and the risk factors can be like from when the child was born or during pregnancy and the child is, and, and during pregnancy, it might be the mom was exposed to cigarettes or alcohol. Maybe they didn't know by that time that they were right. pregnant, for example. Um, and then it can also go into after they born, um, you know, difficulties in, in the family where the parents are in discord, children pick those things up because they are quite perceptive. Um, and, but they are those that are genetic, for example, uh, and children would be born with, with that kind of vulnerability. Um, so, 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 so it will say risk factors or causes of the mental illness in children are quite broad. And so, so usually you, you go with context when, when they are presenting. How do we how do we get diagnosed? I mean, where do we start? You you find that there's difficulty and that you need to go on this journey of understanding self, understanding child or, or teenager. Where do we start? Does it does it start with GP? Do psychology and psychiatry go hand in hand? Do you consult? You know, is it is it one uh, one direction? <laughs> how how do we start the diagnosis or the process or this journey? So I, I quite like what you say in terms of the people that you're mentioning. The, I think the main thing is entry into access. So whether you get through a, through a GP, a lot of GPs are quite aware of mental health in children. And, and I think, you know, from the medical doctor's point of view is if a child says, yo, I'm worried there's something wrong with my child or there's something I'm concerned about, even if as a doctor you're not aware, it almost... Uh, jolts you to look a little bit deeper than what you thought you saw. But entry can be through anyone. I, I have to speak for child psychiatrists because no one wants to come to us uh, at the first glance, but like psychologists, nurses, GPs, um, childcare workers. And I will tell you, most referrals are through teachers um, to, to any of those uh, clinicians that you have mentioned now. But the teacher is never right. They don't know my child. Why are they sending my child for psychiatry? In Afrikaans, we say, in Afrikaans, we say, how can you, why, why can't you control your class? Why, why did we, why are we on this journey? Huh, doctor? Why, why are we on the, could you not help me with discipline? Now we're taking pills. Hmm? That, that is a standard, well, let's say a standard um, a response, but I think most, most parents that don't want to acknowledge the significant problems would, would bring that up. But a lot of parents actually, you know, as much as they don't want to know that my child is struggling with something that could be psychiatric, they are open to hearing you say something about that, but they would be sad. And I think as a practitioner, yeah. one needs to manage both the parents as they are presenting, but also guide them through what the children is presenting with, because at the end of the day, these kind of problems don't go away by themselves. Mm. Um, even if we would like to wish them so, um, they would still need specific, um, sometimes even persistent interventions, for example.
I want to get to a scenario where I have interviewed two moms privately uh, before we, we were in discussion today. And the one, the, the father is on medication and it's helping him. And now the child is on medication and it's helping him. And the, the dad tried to explain to me and he said to me, Elana, when you are uh, diagnosed and on, on medication, he says, I feel so much better. He said to me, he says, I'm relieved. I feel so much better. In another scenario, when I spoke to the mom, she said, um, you know, when he's in school, we, we do what they say. And then, and then when he's on holiday, we take him off these things uh, because we, we don't really want him to be on this medicine. Yeah. And so in both scenarios, I empathize with, with, with family who feels better and who takes your advice. And then in the, on the other side, you know, they, maybe they're not ready. They don't want to take this diagnosis into their stride. What advice do you have for us with what is busy happening in both scenarios? So I, I want to explain, and I think maybe it's probably best we, 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 we label a diagnosis, right? Mm. So for, for example, something like um, ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. You know, I, I, I think in the first scenario, for example, if a child is on medication, it just makes it easier for the child to do work. It makes it very easy for the child to socialize with peers because that's where they need to learn the social interaction. It makes also family functioning quite easy. So in the second scenario, for example, where the parents would choose to take the children off medication during school holidays. You know, that consistency that the child had over time as they were on medication is lost. And so you are losing the routine, but also you're sending a message which is really quite, um, um, I guess, sublime in that you say medication is not important during other times. But what the child is also reading is that medication is not important. And as they grow older, for example, when they're teenagers, they then challenge the notion of needing to take medication so they are able to function. So my sense is a child that has got ADHD is going to be on medication every day. The exception would be when we're struggling with side effects that are intolerable or we cannot do anything about And side effects are present, but there's, there's things that we can do about that. But so, so my, my advice is that unless we really, really are struggling with side effects, you know, it, it, it helps the child to feel the same every day in sense that having medication every day, yeah. But we get used to the tablets, doctor, and we don't want them to get used to the tablets. Hmm? Yeah. See, see, see my, my, my comparison would be, your children that, you know, say, say somebody that has got diabetes, do they get used to the medication? No. Mm. It's a chronic condition. You manage as the need arises. So if a child... We started with a low dose of medication, for example, and they grow older. Obviously, we might need to change the medication a little bit. Not that they used to the medication. They are maybe a little bit older for the dose that we started with. And a lot of the time, you really, the response is over a period of time. Not like, you know, from day to day, we need to increase the dose and see how and, and how the child copes with that. Yeah. Medicine in itself, doctor, is it is it a cross to bear? You know, is it is it heavy? Is it supposed to be something that, um, you know, once we start, you you you're you're ashamed, you're ashamed, and you go into teenage years and even adult life knowing that you are being medicated in order to live your life. Why is it so hard for us? 
I'll take the example of ADHD because I think it describes this quite mm. well because children on, on, or people on medication or on ADHD treatment will need to be on medication for a long time. So if at the beginning when there was a diagnosis made um, the, 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 the person was on medication consistently, it actually makes it quite easy for them to be on medication for a long time because you've also developed like some buy-in from the child or the, the teenager as they grow, they understand, yo, if I take this, I concentrate a little bit better. If I don't take this, you know, my days are just a mess. And so, so there's like connection and a buy-in. For people that are not consistent, it becomes heavier. And because now, one, you have to deal with side effects as your body gets used to the medication every time you skip a dose. But for those that usually are on medication persistently, it's fine. The problem comes in, I guess, teenagers who... Uh, for example, I mean, and that's why there's different preparations where sometimes you can just take medication and no one but your family, maybe your teachers need to know about the medication, but no one else need to know. There are those preparations earlier on when kids are still small, where you can maybe trust the school to help with medication. Usually there's, there's less stigma um, in, in, in lower primaries. Stigma becomes much more visible as, 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 as children become much more aware as they get older. Do you find that addiction is quite common? I mean, do we set our children up to trying other medication? Um, I'm not into so stats. I'm not into yeah. stats. <laughs> I'm not thinking for the numbers. I'm, I'm looking at a way that is much more encouraging. Um, so ADHD is a perfect example. So, 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 so people would be concerned that if a child is on stimulants, for example, or for that we use to treat ADHD, predisposes them to becoming addicted to other stimulants, illicit stimulants. And the, 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 the response to this is that, you know, research has shown, and, and actually even in practice, we see that, children that have not been on medication or have been inadequately treated are the ones that are much more vulnerable to using substances because uh. really the illness itself causes mental restlessness and kids get quite easily hooked to nicotine and that might be a gateway to using harder substances. So the risk actually is those that are not treated or where treatment has been inadequate or interrupted. So that's where the risk lies, not really with those that are on medication, uh, which, which has been consistent. Do you find that the stigma sometimes leads to parents discriminating? You know, I don't want that child near me or for sleepover because they need to take pills. You know, there's medication involved. We don't want the burden of that child here. You know, in Afrikaans, we say, what if they lose their rocker, you know, while they're in my house? Uh, do, do you think the stigma... Uh, travels with the children, you know, to other homes, playdates, um, other parents, because because children can be can be unfair friends sometimes. Can be mean. I think they, you need to say mean because yeah. that's exactly what we hear. Look, I, I I do think you you will see this in children, or rather, children that have not been treated for a long time when the problem was really obvious. So obviously at that time, there's been certain behaviors that have been established. They've been rough in class, uh, broken other things, and you know, been quite rough with other kids. And so that has already stigmatized the children, the, the child in that, that kind of particular behavior. 
And, 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 and we see that it, when they change classes, because teachers also speak to their next teacher, yo, that one, you know, so, so but I, I do find that for most of the time, children that are treated and, 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 and the, 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 the school responds in a positive way, the environment in terms of the kids will also respond different because largely people, well, the child also feels different when they are on medication because they can socialize better. They can follow instructions a little bit better than what they are. But we, we, we don't also sedate them such that some personality still comes up and you still want a boy to still be a bit rough, uh, but not always subdued, you know. So, so, but stigma really follows those that have not been treated and, and the behaviors have set in. And, and once treatment is started, you know, people see the contrast, but it does also take some getting used to. Mm. When you talk psychiatry or children, you know, misbehaving in class, uh, all these words, you know, they make me so sad. You, <laughs> you, you also hear Ritalin, you know. I'm not putting my child on Ritalin. Why does psychiatry have a bad taste? A bad rap. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think, you know, everyone writes anything they want on like websites, media. And I think one, one needs to understand that people's experiences cannot necessarily be generalized. And my discussion with a lot of families is that, you know, unless somebody can test what they are saying to you with me, and we have like an expert sort of discussion around why this medication, why this diagnosis, then maybe you can listen to them. But unless, if, if they don't have any evidence otherwise, I do think I still hold that expert opinion uh, from what you've presented with. Because I think the other thing is that, you know, especially in children, child psychiatry is quite complex in children because mm. most of them present with multiple problems. A child that presents with ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, will probably also present with anxiety or depression, right. or they will present with learning problems. So when you treat the problem, the other is unmasked. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that medication has caused the other problem. Right. It just says we've treated the backdrop, the background noise, and now some of the problems that we have had are much more clearer. So, mm -hmm. so, so that that is the that is the argument that I try and present to to the families. And like people have had horrible experiences with medication. I'm not in any way minimizing that, mm. but it's not. You know, I think people need to also sort of take that with a pinch of salt that if somebody is taking, like I'm saying, if you're taking, for example, medication for ADHD, if you're skipping doses, you will have horrible side effects when your body gets used to the medication. You might have horrible side effects if the dose is high and you skip. You understand? So, 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 and that kind of context is never really clearly described in these stories where mm -hmm. they give psychiatry or psychiatric medication a bad rep. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? We've got our moms in schools. We've got our little babies. Oh, this one is a handful. We don't know what we're going to do with this one, you know. Um, they're already at a stage where maybe there's a child psychologist involved and their success. Um, but there are concerns, you know. Um, we don't want to make light of these things all the time. We do have fun because these are our babies and we want to have fun, you know. But give us, give us some, oh, doctor, we struggle. Give us, give us some light at the end of the tunnel because you've, you've seen the problems, but you've also seen the success stories. 
I think more, more success stories than persisting problems. A lot of the uh, child psychiatry problems that we see are manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so, so I'll, I'll give you two layers. There's some that are treatable and can be cured. For example, mood disorders, anxieties. I'm saying treatable and cured, but it might need to take a little bit of time, right? But with consistency, with other support, you know, for the parents, like the parents doing their thing, the psychologist who's been uh, also facilitating is, is doing what they need to do for support. We do see children getting over some of the uh, problems. And now also, that would also mean that the, for example, in mood disorders, the stressors that could have activated these mood disorders also need to be looked into. And if the stressors is, are removed, then sometimes that we see, uh, 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 you know, some, some of these problems cured. But there are those what we call developmental conditions in which there's no necessarily cure. The conditions change form or shape as children mature or get older. And so treatment also changes in that form uh, following the changes that they see. I'm talking about ADHD specifically and things like um, autism um, or intellectual disabilities, for example. So, so things change over time. And and in that way, people might need medication for a long period of time. For those that are ADHD, I, my, my, my sales is that until they finish their academic um, placements or, or university, for example. One last question before we go. All right. Immediately you think, okay, psychiatry is only for children who you think has ADHD or some kind of attention deficit disorder or um, uh, uh, do you see other children? You know, in, in, our, in our hearts, all of our children, no matter what they present, they are normal. You know, our, our normal looks different to everybody. Whether there's autism, our kids are normal. That is just how it is. And therefore, earlier I made the comment about teacher. You know, how can she, how can he point out, you know, he doesn't know my child. And so, and so do, you, do you only uh, make a diagnosis on children with disorders or do you sometimes just treat children for a while and then they are fine because there's less anxiety, uh, their moods are better, they're being uh, monitored? Uh, how would you describe that scenario? So there's more, co- like maybe let me put it this way. More common problems are those that are less severe, that, that, that would go away with, well, by, with time. For example, if a child has had like a significant loss or parents have divorced, you know, so 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 obviously there's bereavement that will take its course, mm. but then the child would be in treatment and 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 then the, the the traumatic experience of loss would be processed and then that would be manageable. And then the child would not necessarily have forgotten the loss, but they would have processed the loss and life moves on. Divorce, for example, you know, if if parents are amicable, the, the stresses of wanting to 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 please dad mom or whatever uh, if those are money are managed you know the 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 the, the, the stress of, of that kind of divorce or splitting once managed the children can get on with their lives because their life is the same everywhere there's just problems that are severe enough that would require persistent treatment but i think you know parents would take guidance and discussion with their treating experts because now if you now start asking your neighbor for this advice, you ask your other, I don't know, your, your, your relative doctor, 
you know, they never always have the context that we have as clinicians during examination, for example, where we make a call on need for treatment and need to continue in treatment or stopping treatment. Doctor, this has been valuable and I wish you a great, great time in meeting all of our little people, our teenagers, as well as our parents. And I really pray, please God, may you always be blessed with the right assessments and treatments so that you can help save many, many lives and help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for the opportunity as well, Elena. This podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores.